Hi, and welcome. This is Lee Siegfried, host of A Life Well Lived with Dogs podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a podcast where we keep it real. We talk about dogs, living with dogs, life with dogs, dog training, and the full spectrum of the journey from puppyhood and beyond. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get to it. Hello, hello. Welcome to Life with Dogs, well-lived podcast. I'm your host, Lee Siegfried. Coming at you with some real talk, some training perspective, some we're going to get right into to real world, <laughs> real world with dogs. So I touched on this in another episode and I wanted to just keep going with this thread. Daily practices that may be easy for you to implement that make a huge difference. So I'm not a trainer that's really into giving people busy work. I really want, I really value your time and I know your time is valuable. And speaking of time, thanks for listening wherever, wherever I am in your ear holes, <laughs> wherever you are whether you're grocery shopping or driving or, I don't know, walking your dog, hiking your dog, who knows. So daily practices that can make a big difference. This is if you maybe feel like you need to just give your dog a little bit more to do day to day and or if you're looking to reconnect and maybe kind of bump up your dog's responsiveness in a training sense. Well, okay, I'm going to start with some training stuff. We're going to talk about enrichment. We're also going to talk about just spending time together and what that can look like. So easy, implementable thing that is either going to be more enriching for your dog or simply a way for you to get in, to get in. But no, I mean, but a way for you to build value into some of the things where you may need to reestablish value. Let's put it that way. So how, what you do with your dog's food can greatly impact either it's a resource that's consumed and it's boom, bang, bang, and it's gone, or it's something that you can get a little more bandwidth out of. Okay. So let's look at how you're feeding. You can feed from a bowl. You can feed from like a slow feeder bowl, which takes just slows them down, really. You can feed from a food dispensing toy. You can also feed from like scatter feeding from the ground. And you could train with your food. So how do I feed? Okay, if I'm looking to reestablish or bump up some training value, or I have a new dog or a dog that's new to me, I would use a portion of my meals, if not all of my meals, to build my marker system and to basically play scent games, which basically train a recall. So let me break that down a little bit. Marker systems. So when you're building a communication system with a dog, which this sounds like some big thing, but a lot of you already have pieces of this, if not the whole thing in place. What it is, what I'm talking about doing is just associating words with consequences. Traditionally, people are using the word good or yes. We tend to use a dual marker system, although I think when you factor tone in and how you're saying things, it could connotate a whole other level of urgency or like take your time, you know, like, whoa, or let's go, let's go, we'll talk about that in a bit. But marker system. So if you're going to hand feed your meals, And I'll talk to you about like words that I would play around with and establish. These are words that I use every day with my dog. So this is stuff that I may do. And there may be some kibble in my pocket. I mean, honestly, not a super duper structured person. So I know for some of you that are like, I struggle with structure. I see you. Here's what it means. Scoop a bag of food out of your dog's bowl or not. don't put it in a feeder toy. Throw it in a baggie. Throw it in a you know, throw it in your pocket. When you're out and working your dog, it's there, right? Most of the time for me, it's like a piece of pepperoni in my pocket that I secretly didn't know was there. 
if I'm really intentional, it's a little bit of string cheese, you know, if we're going into a really challenging environment. But back to marker words. So words like good or yes. Generally good is a signal. That means it's a continuation word. It's like, keep doing that thing. Good. It generally is like I'm bringing food to the dog or I'm bringing a toy to the dog or it's like a stick or a tug toy. When I'm utilizing that word, what I'm saying to the dog is keep doing the thing. You're you're doing the job. Like that's it. Good. Good job. It's like it's like affirming the behavior choice for being made and continuing to, le- to deliver information to the dog. So this is, for example, let's say the dog's standing by the door and they're not forging out the door and they're waiting for a word to be told that they can go through. Good. Good. For a lot of dogs, that really helps them understand what the game is initially. Then there are release words. Release words are words like, okay, or all done, or free, or break. And there can be neutral release words. For me, my neutral release word is, okay, okay, it's just like, we're done doing that. Next, non-neutral release word, break. Break is, and this is something that's funny. Here's the thing. I'm a dog owner first. I'm a dog trainer second. Don't get it twisted. But in all seriousness, I want to keep it simple so you guys can win. I'm not here to overcomplicate stuff. If you want to get into complicated marker systems or more complex, I'm not going to say complicated, more complex, you totally can. I use a keep going signal to affirm behavior. Good. Sometimes if I'm doing like really invasive husbandry work, husbandry work just means like nail trims, restraint for the dog in a long time. Or I have a client that comes to me with a very big invasive challenge. I'm going to use a bridge. Okay. So it basically means I'm going to indicate that the behavior starting. I'm going to continue to give information to the animal while it's happening. And then I'm going to use a terminal bridge to say, or terminal marker word to be like, we're done. So a keep going marker could be good. Dogs maintaining a sit. You want them to build some time in that sit. Their butt's on the ground. Good. Deliver food. Good. Deliver food. Or simply, your reward becomes a secondary reinforcer. Your word holds value. Once the associations have been made with consequences, they like get it, right? So the word itself can conjure up some like some some good vibes, some like affirming vibes. When I want to add a little more flash, when I want to build a little more energy into something, yes. I think you could yes. Sometimes people like to use that as a primary marker word. If you want to keep it really simple and go with one marker word, fine. It's cool. If you want to play around with like building drive, I really have found for me the benefit of building yes as a marker word is often that what I can do is it gives me a great way at a distance to cue a dog to me. Okay. So what I mean by that is if my dog is 30 feet away and I go, Faye, come. And she's like, turns towards me. Yes. And then she's like, it's like her butt is on fire and she comes rolling in. So for me, I really find the value in creating more excitement behind a marker word is very effective in building drive. That being said, like, I don't want to overdo it, which is a thing in the dog training world. Like sometimes people mistake the enthusiasm they see or the arousal they see for enthusiasm. Arousal is part of the game. Like your dog's energy shooting up is part of the game. I just want a dog that can also regulate. I want to be able to like push them into an excited state and bring them right back down. Co-regulation and regulation is part of the deal when when you are a thing with a brain. <laughs> and feels good. Feels good to be regulated. So your marker words, you can use food to recondition your marker words. Or if you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know, my dog feels a little pokey. Hand feed, good. Deliver food. Or back up and say yes and feed close to the body. So you, the difference when you're building a little more energy behind a marker word is usually you're adding movement 
And then there's some delivery of food. It's sort of like chase the food, get the food, chase it, get it. So it's like chase the person, get the food or come into my space and we're, we're going to tug. So reconditioning your marker words can be huge. Another one is a find a game. There's like so much value in me in a very, this very simple game. And I love a good bang for your buck exercise, which just means if I'm going to be messing around with my dog, like, what do I want? I want movement. I want, I want them using their nose, using scent. And then I want to actually reinforce behaviors that I really, really, really want in real life. Behaviors that I really, really want in real life. I want reliability to come back to me. I want reliability to wait or stop when I tell you. And I want to encourage you to hold positions when need be, although that's not a huge one. And I want you to disengage from things, which just means move away from them. So it's like, I really, when I think about it, I really want the ability to like move you, stop you, (laughs) have you come back to me, and then patiently wait. And that's all off-leash. In my head, when I'm thinking about that, this has nothing to do with equipment. Yeah, I know. Sometimes training gets confusing when people automatically think equipment is associated or a part of it. You're the equipment. This is the, the operating system that syncs up with, the Bluetooth connects with the dog. And then we're like energetically rolling together. If I'm really good at reading your body language, things will always feel smoother. If I understand how to play around with movement into your space, movement out of your space, like Jedi mind stuff can happen there. Ooh, okay. But back to daily practices. Back to daily practices. Hand feeding or creative ways of feeding. If you don't, if you don't really feel like, hey, I've I've got a lot of training, you know, zhuzhi stuff that I need to be rolling on, then I would say, you know, throw your food in a food dispensing toy. If your dog's eating wet food or raw food, throw it in a kong. And also, full permission here, guys. It's okay for food to just be food. Food does not always have to be associated with some arousing thing. Like, I'm pushing around this ball and food's falling out of it all the time. Wow. And if you're like, oh no, my dog probably needs a couple more part time jobs, then yeah, it's scent work, it's scenting and foraging. So, enrichment as a concept, let's talk about that. Enrichment as a concept is what am I giving my dog access to that allows them to practice normal species specific behavior? It's biological fulfillment by allowing your dog to engage in normal behavior. And much of, you know, life for a pet dog can be really restrictive, regimented, or just not with a dog not immersed in a natural environment. So the value in enrichment is allowing your dog or giving your dog opportunities to be a dog, letting them embrace their innate dogginess. And what I always see if you're struggling with, like you think your dog is maybe overstimulated or understimulated or quote, needs more to do outside of natural movement, off-leash long line and urban and or suburban walks, say on like a four to six foot leash. And we'll talk about leashes and whatnot, but there's a lot that can be done within the household, or at least as a starting point that feels less overwhelming for many. And hand feeding is one. Scatter feeding is just like throwing the food on the ground. Okay. That can happen inside or out. Food dispensing toys. You could get a plastic water bottle, take the lid off like a big one, throw your dog's meal in it and let them kick it around. They might eat it. They might shred it you know, observe and and report back, but most dogs have a great time shredding stuff. And then find a games. Let me go back to find a games. Find a games are simply taking a piece of kibble or treat, throwing it, dog goes after it, drops her head, scents, calling back to you. Yes. You practice your marker word build on the way back to you. So as soon as the dog turns towards you, yes. Yeah. And then feed them close to your body when they come back or scatter feed at your feet. If you're looking to have your dog do something, if, if there's something that's on the way to the recycling bin, boxes, Cereal bar boxes, granola bar boxes. What was it yesterday? An egg carton? Oh, if I have like a sausage container, like a frozen, my kid loves frozen sausage. 
we've got a little little sausage container to get rid of. I'll just give it to my dog to shred. And I've always had dogs that shred and don't ingest. So I feel like that's most dogs, but occasionally you're gonna have you're gonna have a dog who wants to eat stuff. So again, if you're if you're giving them stuff to shred, absorb it. You could just throw a little kibble in a box and fold the box down and let them go to town to figure out how to get it open. Okay. Other daily practices that can make a big, big difference. If you're already leash walking your dog and or you're struggling with that, or you're just like, I mean, I'm leash walking, but it's not great. Or I feel like I walk my dog and I come home and I still feel like my dog didn't get walked. Meaning like you still feel like the dog is like bouncing off the walls. I want you to start to observe the quality of the body language of your dog on a walk. Is your dog dropping their head and sniffing? Do they seem relaxed and loose? Or are they like vigilant and like looking for stuff all around them? What I'm looking for always, always, always is a quality in the dog's body language within the environment. And then as I'm training or working with them, that's the common thread that I keep my eye on. How soft do they look? Softness to me just says that the dog is not tense or the dog is like a willing participant or is able to maybe prioritize what is being asked of them. And softness to me, it says that the dog trusts the handler to handle what's what's going on around them. Now, I just heard maybe a collective eye roll there. That's not to say that your dogs don't trust you. No, certainly not, a, not. Not all dogs are created equal. But what I mean is what I'm looking for are signs of regulation. I'm looking at the dog's body language for signs of arousal or agitation. And then I'm looking to help them move back into a regulated state with my support, however they need that. That could be hands-on touch. That could be how I move with them, how I get in between them and a dog or uh, something in the environment. That could be that could be reassurance, talking to them, touching them. Yeah, like they just want to know that you've you've got it for them. Otherwise, they'll be like, I got work to do. Now, and here's the thing. Imagine that you own a German Shepherd and imagine that you own a Beagle. To me, the quality of that already feels different. Like a shepherd is very capable and very like hardwired to be aware of the environment. Not that a beagle's not, <laughs> but I don't think anybody has a protection beagle. You know, they don't. They want to do protection work. They're going to get a shepherd. So we all have genetics at play with our dogs. So it's another place to look in terms of daily practices. What kind of dog do you have? Do you have a dog that uh, like is a herding breed mix that would like to chase, push, bite stuff? If so, you've got a great dog to do like structure games of fetch or like very, very fun, intense games of tug with. If you have a terrier, tug a lug a lug, tugging. So many owners, I feel like feel some like limitation or maybe it's just that food gets so much airtime in the dog training conversation that other things don't. But like food is nice, but it is certainly not the like creme de la creme. Everything relies on food. When I'm also feeling like I'm winning it with a daily practice with my dog, I mean, my dog's over a year now. We don't use a lot of food and training at this point, but if I was teaching her something new or we went into a new environment, I would. So when we went to the beach a couple, about a month ago, I see like, oh, I had like a piece of cheese in my pocket and we went onto the beach. And that's like, that's a pretty big treat for her. When it comes to play, I want to integrate toys like tugging, like tugging or balls or balls on a string. I also don't want to be limited by that. So if you're like, but I don't have a dog that likes that stuff or likes to fetch. Cool. Then it's like, how do we get nutty and like wrestle? How do they like nudge you in the head and get you going from the ground? And I'm just looking for the dog to like light up and be like, wait, what? We can do this? And I'm like, yeah, we can do this. Let's get nutty. Sometimes with my dog, it'll end up in like play bowing and she'll grab a toy or she'll like bounce. And she will like start nibbling. She'll start grabbing my arm. But it's a very, very soft. It's very soft. And we've worked really hard on getting her to disengage and getting her to off of my arm. So it works for us because if if she gets nutty and I invite her in like that, it can also turn off. Okay. So 
play and how you play. So it depends on the kind of dog you have and what they're motivated by. If anybody listening to this has read somewhere that tug's an awful idea, please, please, please go get a long tug toy or some old athletic socks or a dish towel and like put it on the ground and drag it around and see if your dog's interested in chasing it. And then don't be afraid. You just need to learn how to turn it on and turn it off. And if you're like, I feel like if I did that, my dog would be insane and like climbing up my body and bruising my legs. Not all, I mean, okay, maybe tug's not your thing. Or if anybody has a dog like that, you should be using a management tool, like just letting your dog drag a leash so that if you go to exchange the toy or get them to drop and you're kind of afraid that they're going to physically overpower you, which if a dog has never learned how to be soft with releasing something and to like relax in between sessions of like high energy play, it's going to be a skill set that they're going to need to develop. But what I'm going to say is putting a leash on the dog and just like putting your foot on the leash can drastically help you be able to get a little foothold to get in there to shift behavior, which means like, hey, I would really love to play with you more, but you can't climb my body or like jump all over me or like demand bark or like muzzle punch me in the head because I took your tug toy or your ball away. And some dogs really will come in hard because they've never been taught to A, like we're taking a break, game on, game off, game will be on in a minute, but game off for now. And or they've never had the, com- the person's ever had the conversation with them about physically respecting space, which just means if they plunge into your space that actually it's like, hey, back up. Honestly, it's just unsafe for the handler and dogs get really good at jumping on people or practicing jumping. So as a clear thing, I'd want the dog to at least understand not to jump on their primary handler and then we can get working on other things in the environment. Okay. Daily practices. So, you know, if tugging's not your dog's thing or fetching's not their thing, just play. Just plain old wrestling could be a lot of fun. Okay. I also mentioned, so I want to talk about the daily practices, right? I've been kind of bringing it back to that touchstone, but I also want to mention just sharing space with your dog is like an underrated thing, doing nothing with your dog. I often feel most connected when I'm just like my dog's on the ground. It usually starts with me grooming or brushing her out. I have my first long coated dog now. So I've been doing a little bit more of that this time of year. She's really hot and she's been swimming and she just seems like she's shedding a lot. And also just like letting that go where it wants to go. You know, if I stop brushing and she's like, <laughs> just roll her rubber belly, rubber ears. It's a nice time to do a full little, you know, body checkup, look in the ears, look under the chin, try to get in those nooks and crannies where if you've been out with your dog in, in nature where you might find a tick or just check for any kind of just anything, any kind of pain or sensitivity that might be brewing. And yeah, that's probably the most underrated one, like not doing anything, but just sharing space and chilling. Basically, it's like a grooming exercise. And if you think about it, think about monkeys. This is like what they do. They hang out and groom each other. So like petting with a purpose, but like, and again, looking for the softness in your dog. Do they, does their mouth like give you a heavy sigh? There's a lot of nerve endings in like the face and the ears. So when you get in there and rub, they'll usually be like, it also helps prepare them for things like, um, ear cleaning and, and things like that, that could be a little bit of a shock to them. Let's see what else? Do I have anything else in my rotation of daily? Oh, okay. Yeah, I do. One MOA, a really solid weight. A weight to me is a life-saving skill. Maybe, I mean, I feel like a whole episode could be dedicated to that, but a quick idea behind the weight is start with doors. If you're still using a crate, start there. Start with your doors in your home. Now, weight doesn't mean you have to stand or sit or lay down or do any skill in particular. Weight just means you have to momentarily pause and then move. And back to those release words, usually a word like, okay, is your indication they can move. So start at your door. Again, don't insist on the sit or the down. Just insist on no forward movement until you say, okay, jog on a leash by a door. 
get in between the dog and the door, tell them to wait. You can give them a hand signal, wait. And what you're looking for, again, back to the quality of the body language, you're looking for them to actually rest on their feet, balance. And and bonus points down the road, if they can like lift their head and look at you, then you're going to invite them through. Okay. I practice this all the time by doors, exiting a car, coming out of a crate, going through gates, off leash all the time. In fact, in the middle of my play sessions, I'll have to video a play session so you guys see what it looks like. Because I just mash up all these concepts. We might play a find a game. We might then tug and get nutty. We might then stop and do a down. I might tell my dog to wait and then I walk around her. I might throw the toy while she's laying down and waiting and then freak, release her with a non-neutral release to go get it. Typically, when you if you can master these little pieces individually, you can start to play around with them. So it's sort of like not a baker. But if you get really good at understanding how to bake bread, you may be able to be like, could I try rye or sourdough? Or could I try like a more exotic, like an olive bread? You can start to play around with the ingredients. And that's really to me what what it, what it becomes is like your daily practice is just a way to continue to maintain the behaviors that are great for lifestyle, a dog that's attentive, receptive. And then you can also use your play, play and training, like the barriers just kind of melt and play, play is training. Play is a little bit of what you need and a lot of what the dog needs, right? And you can just insert these little moments of like, cool, I know that you can still like stop on a dime and be receptive and give me some eye contact. Awesome. Now, other daily practices in terms of enrichment, seeking natural environments. And I know that that can be tough if you live in an urban environment, but finding green spaces where your dogs can walk, sniff, not be in any training state whatsoever, but explore, meander, scent within reason. You know, like having your dog at the end of a 30-foot leash when you're five feet from the road is not a great idea. Or having your dog clothesline itself chasing squirrels at a park, not a great idea, but we'll talk about ways that you can kind of use that to your advantage. Urban environments, encouraging your dog to jump up cross benches, walk up on walls, jump on and off. Like I'm thinking about like a lot of green spaces have a lot of places to climb and sit and, you know, explore. And outside of that, I have a big, 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 big off-leash, reliable, rape the words of training and get that dog off-leash kind of girl. And if that's something that you want to work towards, but you're a little like, oh, definitely go back to building your marker words, get things really solid on, say, play lots of finding games on a six-foot leash, get a long line, get a 15-foot leash or a 30-foot leash. Start to see what you can get going in a, in a more complex environment. I know it's scary. I know it's scary, but that's what long lines are for. So guys, thanks for joining. This is Lee. I'm going to sign off here. I hope that gave you some great ideas to implement for daily, simple daily practices that can be like a, a bang for your buck if you're looking to just do more, have more ideas for enrichment, or you're looking for your play and training to really kind of become one thing, which it absolutely can and should. All right. Thanks for joining, guys. Mwah. <laughs>